Turn your Bibles to Genesis. You thought I was going to say 1 Samuel, didn't you? It's been a while. It's been a while. To Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We are starting a new study tonight. Our study is going to be of uh, Joseph. And you say, why are we starting in chapter 25? Well, we're going to give you a little background of Joseph and get a very good running start. So I need you to do one thing for me and don't do this uh, uh, blatantly or, or to where other people can see it. But I need you to lick your finger because you're about to go like this. Because that's what we're going to do tonight. I, I generally don't like those kinds of things, uh, but this is going to be an introductory lesson because I think it's very important for us to understand, first of all, when we read the Bible, I understand a lot of times of how we read, how I read. I look at stories that I've been told since my youth, and I remember those stories, and I remember teachers, wonderful teachers who taught me in Bible class. But that was a child view that they gave me of these stories. I want us tonight... And you've been doing that throughout our studies of Daniel and Ruth and then 1 Samuel. I want us tonight to, to really pull back and, and avoid looking at this about the story of Joseph like we were taught in Bible school. Joseph's story is incredibly complicated and complex, much like our lives today. He had circumstances and family ties, uh, a past, messy relationships, and that was the environment in which he was molded by God. We have to understand that God works in events and situations in our lives. There is not a, and, 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 I'm, and don't get me wrong, I would much prefer everyone to have a, a very advantaged, what we'd call an advantaged life, a, a, a life more of ease, of comfort, of, of, of just, just everything's great with the health, everything's great with this, everything's great with this. We don't, have, we don't have major needs, we don't have major illnesses, we don't have major this or that, but the world isn't like that. It's just not like that. I know some people seem to have better circumstances than others, but sometimes we don't understand their situations either. So I want to, first of all, start with some general considerations for us to think about, and then I want to go into some influences in the life of Joseph. We are embarking on a classic Story. More is written in the Old Testament about Joseph, if, if I calculated everything correctly. 
than Noah, Adam, Abraham, and even Jacob, his father. Uh, We remember Joseph in the way that we remember Noah. Noah and the whale, or the big fish, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, You know, uh, uh, or did I say Jonah? Jonah! Jonah and the big fish, Noah and the ark. I'm getting them confused. I'm trying to add everything. Y'all were looking at me really funny. I was just making sure that you were listening. Uh, But Joseph and the what? That crazy coat, right? That crazy coat, that multicolored coat or or whatever it was. Some people call it long sleeve coat, whatever. Whatever it was, it was a special coat. Tim Rice and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, did a musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and that's where a lot of people remember that kind of thing. But I want you to understand that the, uh, uh, we are introduced to Joseph after his birth in chapter 30, uh, 37. In verse 2, it says, it talks about Joseph being 17 years old and he was tending sheep. So we are actually going from 25 to 37 tonight very quickly. So, uh, so I want you to hold on to it. He's 17 when we are reintroduced to Joseph in chapter 37. In chapter 50, he is going to die at 110 years old. So we are going to cover basically 93 years of his life starting next week and on. But I want you to understand this, and this is very key to what we're doing. He is the classic Old Testament illustration of a New Testament truth found in Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. If, if, I, if I entitled this anything, it would be God at work in the life of Joseph. Okay? In the events of the life of Joseph. God is working. God is sovereign, and He is looking over these events. These events are going to include, as a taste, a foretaste of what we're going to be talking about, bitter jealousy, deceit, slavery, misrepresentation, injustice, lust, rivalry, forgiveness, brothers fighting brothers, resenting parental influence, and imprisonment to name just a little bit. It's an incredible story, an incredible story. And the crazy thing about it is, even with the deep trials he's going to go through, it doesn't seem to produce self-pity that we see in a lot of people in our modern-day world. He lived in uh, prosperity as far as the possessions go uh, early on in his life. But he didn't seem to have the accompanying pride that went with him. And if it did, uh, imprisonment and slavery certainly knocked that out of him. We can be encouraged and I think reassured because we often bring baggage from our past and fears from our present into our circumstances and into our spiritual walk. And one of the things I want us to understand when we start asking the questions, does God care? Is He in control? Uh, What can we expect in this life? 
we need to look at Joseph for some good examples of how God is working in his life. Not so much Joseph personally, but how God is working with Joseph and how Joseph is working with God uh, at times in his life. So as I said, starting next week, we're going to look at him from age 17 to 110. But tonight I want to look at some of the influences in his life. And if you would like to have a, a, a very easy, simple outline of tonight so you can follow me easily, I don't have one. And I don't have one on purpose. Because you're going to sit there and think, you're, he's going from topic to topic to topic. It doesn't make any sense. It's very incoherent. It's just, it's just, he just messed up that lesson. If you walk out tonight thinking that, I have done my job. I have done my job because this is what I want to tell you. Whose life has not been messy at times? Whose life, your spiritual walk, is not messy, incoherent, sometimes seemingly, and I say seemingly, random. If you get that out of his life, you got it. Because it goes, I mean, it's like a roller coaster like you've never been on before. Never been on before. Some of his background. How many of us can boast that we have a great-grandfather named Abraham, a grandpa named Isaac, and a dad named Jacob? And by the way, a mother named Rachel, who was highly loved by her husband. How many of us can say that our father's name was Jacob? And basically, what I, the bottom line of our father was he was a deceiver and a swindler. He was from birth. Remember, he grasped the hill of Esau. He was from birth a skillful manipulator of getting what he wanted the way he wanted it. He scammed his brother out of his birthright. He deceived his father out of his blessing. He was an extremely focused man in that Anything he set his mind on, he was ready to give his all to get it. Let's just start in chapter 29 with his love life. Okay? That ought to get your attention. He fastened his eyes upon Rachel when he came into the land. And in 29 verse 15 it says, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, Joseph, I mean, uh, Jacob was Laban's nephew, so it was Uncle Laban, uh, should you work for me for nothing, what shall your wages be? Don't ask Jacob that, because Jacob's mind is going all the time, trying to figure out, uh, you know, the shortcuts, the ways to do it, the ways to manipulate. And he says, you know what? I think I'd like one of your daughters. Now, Laban had two daughters, Leah the older one, and it says in about her that she had weak eyes. I'm not 100% sure what that means. They didn't have glasses back then, so she, it's not like she had thick glasses or something like that. 
Some people think she was very delicate. Some people a little bit more fragile or frail. Uh, but, but she wasn't Rachel. Rachel, it says, was lovely in form and beautiful. I'm not going to bring that up into modern-day parlance. You can just figure that out yourself. But she was a pretty good-looking lady. And he was extremely attracted to Rachel. So he said, hey, I'll tell you what. I'll work seven years for you if I can marry Rachel. Now stop just a minute. Think about this just a second. Uh, don't raise your hand, but, but in, your, in your mind mentally say, say uh, uh, I was one of the males in this audience who asked my future father-in-law for the hand of my wife. Okay? Now, now I, I can probably visualize two of you doing that, maybe three. Okay, now, keep your hand up if you made a deal with your father-in-law, future father-in-law that you'd work seven years for nothing more than just room and board and to marry his daughter. Up, hands, all hands went down. No hands on deck there. I can't even imagine. This is the deal upon deals. He's going to work seven years just for room and board and all that stuff, and he's going to get Rachel in the deal. But Laban is not finished because guess what? Laban is a swindler and a deceiver. Wonderful background Joseph's going to come out of. So Laban has a counteroffer, and he's, he's a schemer. And Uncle Laban basically says this. I'm going to get... Uh, Jacob comes to him and says, give me my wife. My time's completed. I want to lie with her. Chapter 29, verse 21. And Laban gave this feast. Gave this feast. Now, we have to understand, I don't have time to explain, Eastern custom is not like our custom. Bridal veils today, you know, if you even wear one, it's just very thin. You can see everything. This woman, you know, is has put on her face or not put on her face or whatever. And, and you can see all that. It wasn't that way back then. I, I, I'm not even going to go into it, but, but here he is in the morning. Surprise, here's Leah rather than Rachel. And you can just imagine, and, and he, he goes down to verse four, uh, 25, and he says, he says, I served you for Rachel. You've deceived me. And then le to legitimize everything... Laban says, well, oh, I'm sorry. Did I not tell you we had a custom? A custom is the, you know, the older daughter has to be married before the younger daughter can go. Didn't I tell you that? You know, Laban is a... Is a anyway, he's, he says, fulfill your responsibilities for the bridal week, and I'll give you Rachel if you work seven more years. So... Laban, I mean, Jacob and Laban were, were two absolute swindlers, schemers, trying to outdo each other. And these chapters, if you read over these chapters, and some of you doing your daily Bible reading have already read over these things, reread them for our, for our study. But you see this scheming back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's like a, a, a tennis game. And they're just, they're just or, or, excuse me, excuse me, it's like ping pong. You know, we're those really good ping pong people who just, like, I don't even know how the ball stays intact. They're hitting it so hard. And they go boom, 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 like that. And that's what they're doing back and forth. 
you know, it, it's incredible boxing kind of things. That's not all. There's jealousy and rivalry. Not only scheming and deception, but there's jealousy and rivalry. Let's start with Leah. Leah, if you go into chapter 29 later on, it talks about her being blessed by God and having children. Well, she's going to have four children in a row, okay? And they're going to take one verse at a time to, te- to, to give you these kids. Uh, okay, name them with me. Reuben, Simeon, you're not going, Levi, Judah, right? You remember Judah? You remember Judah? Jesus, Judah? Okay, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Okay, those are the first four kids Isn't it interesting that Jesus came through Judah? Jesus came through Leah, not Rachel. I thought that was interesting. Never mind. You didn't. Uh, God favors Leah. Obviously, her husband is not favoring her so much, but some kind of thing's going on because she's having children. And then she stopped having children. Rachel, not to be outdone, goes to uh, Jacob, uh, verse 1 of chapter 30, and says, Give me children or I'll die. And that scares the fool out of him. He says, hey, get serious. I'm not God. You know, I'm just Jacob. I'm not in charge of who has children and who doesn't have children. Now, it's customary back then. Now, I've already been challenged to talk about concubines. I'm not even going to look at who challenged me. But, but here you go. Here's the first concubine. And, and, and uh, Leah has been given Zilpah, and Rachel has been given Bilhah. And, and here's Rachel, and Rachel says, Hey, I'll give you Bilhah, and I can have children through her. Okay? There you go. That's good. That's simple. Makes sense to me. So Bilhah has Dan, number five, and Naphtali, number six. Now, those are, that's half the brood. Okay? Half the brood. Uh, four from Leah, two from Bilhah. We're not done. We're not done. I want you to remember Dan and Naphtali, by the way. Very important later on. More jealousy and rivalry. Leah, not to be outdone, can't, stopped having children, but she gave her, her uh, Jacob Bilhah, I mean uh, Zilpah, and had Asher and Gad. That's seven and eight. That's seven and eight. Then you've got this quirky, quirky situation about insider trading for favors from the Mandrake Stock Exchange. And here it is in the, in the Laban Gazette, you know, Mandrake mystery and all that stuff. I have no clue what a Mandrake is. I, I, I think it was probably a superstitious kind of deal. I don't know. I don't know, but I guess it, a lot of people think it was something that they got in their mind, an aphrodisiac or whatever, that if I, if I have some mandrakes... Whether you rub them on or eat them, I don't know. But, but whatever it was, you were supposed to get pregnant. So Rachel goes and says to Leah, I want your son's mandrakes. Now Reuben, firstborn, Reuben has brought in some mandrakes. So, so Leah says, it wasn't it enough that you've taken my husband. You want my son's mandrakes too. Now, I think that's a little over the top, but, you know, there you go. So Rachel says, okay, I'll will and deal with you. I'll will and deal with you, and this is what I'm going to do. I'll let you sleep with my, uh, the husband tonight if I can have your son's mandrakes. 
Now, I don't know about you, but this story is getting really strange. Okay? Because just, just, just for a minute, put yourself in this situation. Put yourself in Rachel's situation. Saying these words, okay, you can sleep with my husband if I get the mandrakes. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. That just, just blows my mind. Anyway, uh, Lee, uh, Rachel says, fine, I've done it. And then you've got this verse that Leah comes up. Are you listening? Leah comes up and says, uh, you know, Jacob, I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. Now, put that in your mouth and chew on it a little bit. I have hired you... I mean, I don't even know what I would say if somebody would come up and say that to me. I don't know what I would say, but anyway, you've got this thing going on. I've hired you. So anyway, more jealousy. Here comes Leah. God listens to Leah's prayer, and she has Issachar, which is number nine, Zebulun number ten, and that is number five and six for her children. Now, she's done. Okay, she had six children. She had half the whole brood. But, but there you go. And she also has, starting in verse 17, a daughter named Dinah. This whole family has gone hog wild. I don't know about you. There are kids all over the place. At this point, we've got ten boys, one girl, one dad, two wives, four mothers, and two concubines. I mean, it's crazy. Just absolutely crazy. But we are not done. Here comes Rachel. God remembers Rachel. He listens to her. He opens her room, womb. He, uh, she becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son. She says, God has taken away my disgrace. And she names him Joseph, number 11. Stop. We are done for just a little bit. And she says, may the Lord add another son. Now, I'm not going to go into what happened next, but what happens is after the 14 years... After the 14 years, you know, you've got, you've got uh, Joseph just being born here. After the 14 years, there is another six years. There's another six years that they're going to stay here. And Esau comes and says, um, excuse me, Laban comes and says, what are your wages now? Hey, man, he's been paid. He got two wives out of the deal, and that's, that's it. So he says, look, I need to start building up my possessions. I got, a, I got some mouths to feed over here. So he, they, they come to some kind of deal, and, and it, it says later on that Laban changed his wages ten times. And you know the story. Uh, first of all, it was striped uh, sheep, and then it was spotted sheep, and then it was darker sheep, and... and, and Laban would change it to here and change it to there and steal these, uh, steal these things so, so they couldn't mate and, and reproduce. And, and God was with Jacob and kept increasing his possessions. And one day he figured out that Laban is not nearly as nice to me and, and thoughtful and, and you know, kind as, as uh, he once was. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. So we're going to relocate to Canaan. Now remember, throughout this part so far, this hog-wild, complicated family, God is not only working, but He is planning and He is preparing these people. Okay? 
Joseph is probably around six or seven, maybe not old enough to understand the why they're moving, but he understands we're moving. Uh, also, something else is, is taking place. And it's weird because, because I'm going to look at it from Joseph's standpoint. Grandpa Laban, Dad is getting us, whisking us away in a hurry at night. All of a sudden, he comes in and says, we're bugging out, we're gone. Can't kiss Grandpa, can't hug Grandpa, can't, you know, and just tear him away from the family. And you've got this thing going on in verse 17 of chapter 31 that he, uh, Jacob puts his children and his wives on camels and they go. Now you remember the camel thing, don't you? <laughs> the guys in that army that, you know, got away, they were on camels. So, so these camels are, are, are quick SUV transportations. So here we go, and we're, we, we've gotten some more deceit and theft. Laban doesn't find out for three days. They don't have cell phones. They don't have all this stuff. They, he doesn't find out for three days, and then it takes him seven days to catch up to them in uh, the hill country of Gilead. Why is it taking him so long? He is gathering his family. He is taking relatives with him because when he confronts Joseph, he means to take everything back and bring everything back. Because Laban has not been blessed by God nearly as much as Jacob has. Jacob's got a lot of stuff that he's carrying along, plus the kids and the daughters. So, in chapter 31, round 26, or, or earlier, God says, you know, warns him, be careful what you say to Jacob. In 26 and on, it says, what have you done? You've deceived me. You've carried off my daughters like captives in war. And Jacob comes back and says, I ran off secretly, uh, you know, because, because I was afraid, I was afraid that you would take your daughters back by force. By force. And he probably would have. Probably would have. He says, then why in the world did you steal my gods? Now, these are little G gods. I'm not going to go into all that uh, about what the possibilities are here. But I want you to notice something Another lesson. When we live a deceitful life like Jacob had done, okay? These are just two schemers going at it. But there is a consequence and an influence generally. If I'm a deceiver, I'm going to uh, influence people around me. So here's Rachel. Here is Rachel on top of the saddlebags in which she has stolen these gods. And she's sitting there and Jacob said, Look, if you find, if you find your gods, whoever took them going to die. Obviously, Jacob didn't know Rachel had taken them. So here she is sitting up on this camel. And they're looking and they're looking and they're looking and all of a sudden they get... And the only place they haven't looked is the saddlebags underneath Rachel. And Rachel, Rachel has not only been deceptive, has not only stolen, but now she lies through her teeth and says, hey, I've got my period and I can't move. You know. And so 
what happens. Jacob comes back and says, how dare you insult me? You know, you didn't find anything. So they make a covenant and they set up stone for demarcation. I can't cross this to you. You can't cross this to me. You stay on your side. I'll stay on my side. It's the best way to do. Laban kisses and blesses the kids and then he's out of there. We're not even done. We're not even done. Then he goes into a, a place and he finds out, you know, he's, he's, he's survived the Uncle Laban thing and now Uncle Esau is on his way. Okay? Uncle Esau is on his way with 400 men, chapter 32. Lesson. For parents, if you freak out in front of your kids, don't be surprised when they freak out. They're going to follow your lead. And what's happening here is Jacob is freaking out. He subdivides his family, he sends them across the river, and he's there alone and he wrestles with God. Don't have time to talk about that or an angel of God. And... and uh, Wrestle, 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 wrestle. No one's really getting any, any gain from it. Uh, angel touches his hip. His hips goes out, you know, and here comes, here comes Jacob back to the camp uh, limping. And the whole point, I think, of what's going on is the idea of, of God wanting Jacob to understand that he is going to have to change and start living up to a new name. He's going to have to change his ways as a husband, change his ways as a father, change his ways to, 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 uh, for the legacy he needs to leave. And he's going to be called Israel one of these days. And he goes back to Shechem chapter 33, sets up an altar... And he starts trying to live life a little differently, but it's going to take him a while. Take him a while. Chapter 34 is an incredibly sad story. Here's this young girl, uh, the only girl that we have record of at this point uh, in this family, the daughter of Leah. And Shechem the son of Hamar, the Hivite, sees her, lusts after her, and rapes her. And daddy doesn't do anything. Dad doesn't do anything. So Shechem talks to the dad and says, you know, I'd like to really marry her. And dad comes and they talk to the boys. Now I've got to tell you something. It's one thing for, to have 11 sons and this guy somehow, some way gets an advantage of your sister. Shame on them. But you better watch it if the boys take things in their own hands. And that's exactly what happens. They get them in a compromising situation. They said, fine, you, you know, this is not good. This is just not good. 
And they keep begging and pleading and all that. And he said, fine, you know, uh, you, you, we've, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to be circumcised. So when these guys get back and they talk about it and their, their little council meeting and all that stuff, and they decide, yeah, we'll be circumcised. So while they are circumcised and are in pain, not Reuben, firstborn, but... Simeon and Levi come in and slaughter the male population. Not Shechem, not Shechem and his dad, but the entire male population. Man. And then the boys come in and kind of clean up what's left. What do you say? What do you say? Jacob is beside himself. He goes to chapter 35, goes to Bethel. Remember, Bethel is where he uh, originally saw the ladder reaching up to heaven in chapter 28. So he's been here before. Calls out to God to purify. Then uh, Joseph has to deal with Uh, several deaths in his household. First of all, the funeral of Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. Second of all, the tragic loss of his mother, Rachel. The day is uh, filled with uh, joy and sorrow. The death of his mom, the birth of his brother, Benjamin, making the twelfth son. By now, he's around 12 years old. She delivers the baby, but, he, uh, but she dies. The third death is going to be the grandfather, Isaac. It's going to be a tough, tough time for Joseph. We're not done. During this tragic time of Rachel's death, and you can just imagine what Jacob is feeling, because this is a, the most loved Uh, wife. His oldest son, Reuben, Simeon and Levi have already blown it, killing, you know, gobs of people. Now you've got the firstborn Reuben coming in and sleeping with his his dad's concubine, Bilhah. Bilhah is Rachel's maidservant. So Rachel dies, Jacob is in mourning, And Reuben comes in and sleeps with Bilhah. Stop! We could easily read over that and think, oh, you know, that's just just bad. That's That's just wrong. That's just not right. Stop just a minute. You've not only slept with your dad's wife, you have slept with Dan and Naphtali's mom. Don't talk to me about your complicated family. Can you imagine? My oldest brother is sleeping with my mama. You can read chapter 36 if you want to. That has to do with Esau. But then we come to chapter 37. 
And in verse 2, we come face to face with a 17-year-old boy who has probably experienced more things in his family than you will ever have to experience in all your life. I cannot imagine the incredible dysfunction of this family. And yet, point number one, doesn't sin... Doesn't sin make every family dysfunctional in some ways? When sin creeps into our lives, whether by jealousy or rivalry or, or, or you know, a, a deceit and scheming and, and just, just so many things going on, doesn't sin, doesn't sin just cause everything in the family to get out of line? You ever have a car that front end's out of line and you, you, you can drive it slowly, but when you get up to speed, you know, it kind of gives you that shake. It, it's just wrong. Something's wrong. That's what's happening. Sin has crept in and, and, and just made its home in this family's life. They want to go to God, but they're going to have a long way to get there. Lesson number two. Is God's power in preparation? In Joseph's rough and tumble, less than perfect family, God is working, God is planning, God is preparing him for a role, an incredible role, a role of salvation actually for the nation of Israel. He's he's planning and working in the other people's lives too, but they don't seem to be allowing God to work as much sometimes as Joseph. And I must admit that if anyone has enough basis for blaming everything on his past, it would have been Joseph. But God's grace is greater than the complexities of our life. Number three, our response, our choice. Think about it just a minute. So many people are saying that we are chained by and to our past. And they try to excuse their bad behaviors because of their backgrounds. But it's with God and His power and strength that we can have Him break those bonds of the past if we choose to trust and obey Him. He can certainly bring beauty out of the ashes. Joseph chose God, and he was blessed by it. And fourth, the example of a father. Jacob, to be honest, was a very poor example of integrity, and he was a poor example of decisiveness. He certainly was not a perfect father. 
But I would ask the perfect father to raise your hand, but that would be pointless. There's not one. So all we can do is do our best, pray, and trust God. And at the end of the day, honor Him and His name and all we do and speak. We have to live lives of trust in God. No matter the circumstances. What a complicated family. We're going to start next week talking about Joseph and maybe the story will get better. It does. After a while. (laughs) Read chapter 37. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our day and the blessings you give. Thank you for watching over us and caring for us. Thank you for letting us see an illustration of how you work in all things for our good and to your glory. You are so magnificent and we stand in awe of your ability to weave all the events into our, uh, of our lives into something meaningful so that we have something with which to lay at your feet and honor you with it. And that is simply for our lives to be a sacrifice of honoring and glorifying your name. Thank you so much for being with us, for being our Father, and for giving Jesus and planning all of that throughout history to bring him as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.